This Sunday, I plan to finish what I started last Sunday. It's, uh, it's really the second part of, of last Sunday's message, and if you weren't able to be here or hear it, a uh, reminder that it is on our website and online. I was trying to answer the question last week, why is the cross important? Why is the cross even necessary? And I believe that the Gospel of John gives us in chapter 12 uh, at least four significant reasons why the cross is necessary. It's, as I said last Sunday, it is the crux. And again, I'm, I'm being uh, redundant in my words, but it's, the cross is the crux of human history. It divides human history even as our calendar divides from B.C. to A.D. It is, it is the dividing line of history. And the first of those cosmic, life-changing events that took place on the cross I shared last Sunday with you was the fact that the cross brought glory to the Father. The cross brought glory to the Father. The cross showed the world that God, the Father, is righteous. I took you that last Sunday to Romans 3, 25 to 26, where Paul explains what that means. I'll read it for you. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, whom God put forward as a propitiation the word propitiation means an appeasement of God's wrath. A person was put forward to take away the wrath of God. That's what the word propitiation means. Jesus Christ is who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And that was to show... God's righteousness. That was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over sins. I, ho I hope you understand that, beloved, that the killing of bulls and goats and sheep did not forgive sin. It only pointed to someone who would come and be slaughtered on an altar and shed his blood. It didn't forgive sin. And God would not be righteous, as the sentence is going to continue, God would not be righteous just to say to you and I, oh, you're forgiven. He would not be just. Someone had to die. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sin and remove the wrath of God. And so Paul goes on to say that the cross showed God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Now we're into our time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. A judge would be very unjust to simply excuse you from your sin just with the sweep of his hand. 
But God can forgive you and I because he sent his own son to be the propitiation. He bled on an altar, on a crucifix, and there he died. And all who have faith can receive forgiveness and justification of sin. So without the glorification of the Father on the cross, we would have no salvation today. We would be left with a finite God, an imperfect God, an unrighteous God. But because of the glorification of the Father on the cross, we have today complete and sure salvation. So the first reason why the cross was necessary was to justify or vindicate or to show the righteousness of God the Father. There are three other reasons, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John 12 as we read the text again, verses 27 to, 30, or 27 to 36. John 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the, the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I'm smitten by the, the truths that are contained in this passage. How benevolent you are and how graceful you are that you would give us your word, your holy, inspired, authoritative word that has no error, Holy Spirit, that you would create in us a spirit, an attitude, a, a heart that would be wanting and desirous of receiving your word. And we would ask, Lord, if it be your will, that you would bring sinners to the cross today, that you would save lost people, that you would snatch people from the fire and clothe them with your righteousness. 
For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to point out where I'm going while you have your Bibles there and you're looking at the text. The third important event that the cross triggered, you'll see in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. The second significant event that took place at the cross is also found in verse 31, beginning with the word now. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And the fourth significant event is found in verse 32, the drawing of all people to Christ. Four reasons why the cross was necessary. So I'm going to start with the first event, or the second event. The cross sparked the judgment of the world. You and I have heard a lot of jokes about judgment, haven't we? We've heard jokes about St. Peter standing at the gate and these things and those things happening. Men and women who are not joking about judgment, though, when they converse with you and I, there's almost a universal cultural idea that men and women say, you know what? When I stand before God, because I do believe there's a God, He's going to be able to look at my life, and He's going to be able to weigh the good things that I have done, and He's going to be able to weigh the things I haven't done so well. And at that moment in time, He will decide that I'm really not that bad of a chap. And he'll say, come on in. That impression is leading people to hell. The Bible says that judgment is not future. It's now. The judgment is not future. It's now. Turn back with me to a verse we already looked at, John chapter 3, verse 18. Just one verse. Following the most famous Bible verse, probably, John three sixteen, verse 18 reads, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned, what? Already. The fact of the matter is judgment has already taken place. The moment a man or a woman looks at the cross and decides whether to believe or not to believe, judgment takes place in that instant. And if you look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you see that He died on a cross for sinners, and you refuse to put your faith in Him, you are already condemned. 
Judgment is now. You will ask, well, what about the future? And the future is a judgment of sentencing. It's not a judgment of decision. It's not weighing the good and the bad. All men and women, and I hope your heart breaks as you hear me say this, and my heart breaks. All men and women who end up at the judgment of God do not end up there to determine whether they're in or out. They go there for sentencing. And they will hear the words of God. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting and uh, everlasting. Uh, destruction. The cross brought judgment on the world when it occurred. And from ever since, whenever a man or woman looks at Jesus Christ in the gospel and says, no, they are already condemned and judgment has taken place. Today, there's only two groups of people in the world the condemned, and the justified. And as you listen to these words, you need to be asking yourself the question this morning. If you're watching online, you need to be asking yourself, am I standing with the condemned, or am I standing with the justified, the not condemned? Romans 8, verse 1. There's only two groups of people. Thankfully, I have to add that if you are alive and you're hearing these words and you're hearing the gospel that Christ Jesus came to save sinners like you, you can put your faith in Christ today and that, that judgment that is on you will be lifted and you will be justified. But to continue to re reject Jesus Christ you are, you are already condemned. You're just waiting for sentencing. And that's sad. The cross of Jesus Christ was necessary to bring glory to the Father. The cross of Jesus Christ was necessary to bring judgment on the world. And thirdly, the cross of Jesus Christ was necessary to cast out Satan, verse 31. The title in your Bible, the prince or the ruler of this world, refers to Satan. Now, Scripture teaches that Satan is a person, and he is active in promoting evil in this world. Even the very next chapter, which we will get to, we will read that Satan entered Judas. So you should be sitting there thinking, well, what does it mean then if we're aware of the fact that Satan is active in this world? What does it mean then when Jesus says at the cross, Satan was cast out? That's the question that ought to be on your mind if you don't have an answer for it. You will remember, and I won't go there, that this church and several Bible studies over the years has studied the book of Job. 
You remember in the book of Job that Satan appeared before God in the heavenly courtrooms. I asked Pastor Josh to read a passage. You might want to go back to, to Zechariah chapter 3, which is another Old Testament passage. And we read in verse 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. We understand that to be Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. And who else is standing there? And Satan standing at his right hand. And what is Satan doing? He's accusing. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire, speaking of the high priest? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And he said to him, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Put on a clean turban on his head. Clothe him with garments. What is this Old Testament prefiguring? What has happened? Listen to me. What has happened in Zechariah 3 where Satan is standing before the Lord accusing his minister? What has happened between then and Romans 8, verse 33, which says, Who shall bring a charge? before God's elect. There Joshua, the high priest, representing the chosen people of God, is being accused night and day by Satan in the heavenly courts. And now suddenly we go all the way to Romans 8.33, and we read, who can bring a charge against God's elect? What has happened between those two stories? What's the answer? The cross. The cross. What's the difference between Satan, who was once allowed to stand in a courtroom and accuse God's people, and now there's no accusation that can touch God's people? What has happened? The answer is God's own beloved Son went to the cross and died for sinners who would put their faith in Him, and they are now completely justified. That means no accusation can stick. No accusation can stick. John Piper writes this, Christ stripped Satan of the one weapon that He could damn us. Namely, a valid accusation of unforgiven sin. That weapon is taken away from his hand. He is disarmed. We have no unforgiven sin. The blood of Jesus covers our sin, all of it. Therefore, the cross was the decisive defeat of the condemning designs of the devil. He cannot succeed. Let me say that again. That's not a sentence I would write easily. <laughs> the cross was the decisive defeat of the condemning design of the devil. 
Turn with me to the book of Colossians, just for added insight into this. Colossians. Chapter 2. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did he forgive them? by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Satan's bony finger pointing accusations at God's people has been disarmed, and he has been put in open shame. He cannot accuse the Christian. He will try, but it will not stick. The cross disarmed the enemy, and there's not a single accusation against a blood-bought person of God that any accusation can stand, because your sins have been forgiven, and you have been justified. The cross was momentous. It brought glory to the Father. The cross was momentous. It caused judgment to fall upon the earth. The cross was momentous in that the ruler of this world was cast out of heaven's courts and no longer will he be able to accuse the child of God ever. And finally, the cross sparked the drawing of all people to Christ. We read that in verse 32. And when I when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now last Sunday I said, I, I mentioned to you that the all people does not mean every human being individually. The context is clear. It means all kinds of people, Jews and Greeks. If... Here's, here's, here's the, the argument, beloved, so you understand. Having read and understood the Gospel of John, if you believe that all individuals without, without any discretion are drawn to the cross, you must conclude then that all people will be saved. You have to come to that conclusion. And that's called universalism, and that is contradicted all through the Bible. John does not contradict himself. In John 6, 44, he wrote, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. John is teaching us that those who are drawn to the Father, to the Son, will be given eternal life. In verse 37 in John 6, we hear these words, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. So what is Jesus talking about here? When I be lifted up, I will draw all people. What is he meaning? The answer, if there's any kind of harmony in this gospel, the answer can only mean is when I am lifted up, I will draw all that the Father has given me to me. That's the only legitimate answer in the text. Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. The cross will prove to be the implement to draw all that the Father has given to the Son. It will be a beacon so that all whom the Father has given to the Son will indeed come to Him. The cross is a universal beacon to God's elect around the world and in every nation and every tribe and every tongue. This means that when Christ died, when he, was, when he was lifted up on the cross, he actually, these are important words, he actually secured the salvation for those whom the Father has given him. He actually secured the homecoming of all the sheep that he has around the world. He actually secured the gathering of his children from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. This verse is so familiar to you. But watch how the revelator, the, how John sees this so clearly in Revelation chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. We just sung this. We just sung this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed. Past tense. It's a done deal. You actually ransomed people for God, those whom God had given to you. Where did they come from? Every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. There's no ambiguity. There's no doubt. The cross actually secured the salvation of Christ's sheep. The cross actually secured the salvation of Christ's sheep. When I be lifted up, I will draw all manner of men 
to me, and they will be saved. How important the cross was in human history. It glorified the Father. It revealed the righteousness of the Father. It brought decisive judgment upon the world. It cast out Satan from the accusatory office that he once held. And therefore, no accusation can stick to God's elect. And it actually secured the salvation of God's people. You will hear it said and read, the cross potentially saves people. It does not. It actually saves people. By his blood, he ransomed from every tribe and every tongue. And then Jesus ends John chapter 12, verse 36, with a final invitation. If you're listening to this message, if you're here this morning and you are still an unbeliever, this is your invitation again. How gracious Jesus is. He continually offers you an invitation to believe in Him. To put your trust in Him. I'm wondering this morning if you're not a Christian, if you would put your faith and trust in the fact that the cross revealed the amazing righteousness of the Father. The cross revealed that those who put their trust in Him will not be condemned, but will be justified. Will you believe that the cross was God's decisive event to divide the world between believers and unbelievers, condemned and justified, Judgment has taken place. There is no waiting for judgment. The decision has already, already been rendered. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are condemned already. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, no power in heaven or earth can condemn you. If you're not a Christian, I want you to hear that. If you put your trust in Christ, there is no power in heaven or earth that condemn you. And finally, will you believe that the cross actually saves people? The cross actually, actually saves people. Let us pray. Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit into the lives of those who are listening or who will listen to this sermon. Oh, our hearts long that men and women and boys and girls would be drawn to the Savior. Oh, how we long that people would not go to hell, but would be saved by your righteousness. Send your gospel to this community.
Help us not to see people around us as people who are struggling, people who are drowning, people who are trying. Help us to understand that our friends and our family and our neighbors who have not believed in Christ are condemned already. May they hear and respond to the gospel, we pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.